So here's the deal, yo. Yeah. I'm in Australia. I'm still feeling it now. Like, people yeah, are, yeah. you jet lagged at all? The time difference is so extraordinary, yeah. like yeah. 17 hours, that I don't necessarily feel jet lagged, but there's moments during the day that all of a sudden I hit a wall. Yeah. yeah. And of course, I'm feeling that right now as we're starting to start. Do you feel this. like you're like a day, you have like a day missed? Like your day, you know? Yeah. What I mean? Oh, that's the most bizarre thing. Yeah, it is. So here's the funniest thing I'm in Australia and I'm like emailing you guys and stuff. And it's because of the time difference, you don't email back. But it doesn't feel like that because it's the middle of the day. Right, right. I'm like, oh, my God, they're not responding. <laughs> right. And all day, I'm like writing. No one's writing back. Like, not a single email comes in, not even junk mail. I'm like, has the world abandoned me? Yeah. <laughs> then I go to sleep, crying myself to sleep. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, and there's like 70,000 emails. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then uh, when I respond to you guys, you don't hear from me for a full day. So right. it's a total mind yeah. mess. Yeah, it's hard. It was hard for me because... I was anxious because I wasn't getting responses. I didn't know if everything was okay. And I knew it was like the middle of the night when things would be going wrong and I couldn't react to them oh in the middle God. of the night, you know? And I thought you would quit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, she quit. And then we go, no, no, she's back. She's back for a day. And then she quit again. I'm like, oh my God. That's exactly what happened. Well, uh, when we're ready to kick things off, I got some fun stuff for you about Australia. So you kick us off. Oh, are we ready? Go. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> you are listening to the Profit First Podcast, episode 169. Oh, oh yeah. Ah! Welcome, everyone, to the Profit First Podcast. I'm your co-host, Christina Bolda. And I'm Mike Michalowicz. You know, I'm the author guy of Profit First. (laughs) For God's sake. Yeah? What was so funny? What's so funny? (laughs) That was so, like, the dude, like... I'm the author guy. Yeah. I just want to know... I'm like the author guy. I'm like the author guy. (laughs) No, I didn't mean to say it arrogantly. I'm just... I'm just... I hope you have your copy of it. I mean, for God's sake, pick it up. I'm joined in the studio by uh, the laugher person over there, <laughs> Kelsey Ayers. Hey, everybody. And uh, you, my friends, you're listening to the Profit First Podcast. It's a show where we explore every element of profitability. Even a non-profit needs to be profitable. You know that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's it. That's it. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, Stitcher, and, of course, ProfitFirstPodcast.com. Mike, do you have an icebreaker for us today? I do. I do. I do. I do. <gasps> Um, is there anything else I wanted to say first? Uh, leave it up to the community shout out. Do we, when do we thank our sponsors? Oh, not yet. First, we do our icebreaker. Okay. I'm a little bit off. <laughs> We're getting back in the swing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it's just, not Australia time. Yeah. I'm a little bit quagmired. Ooh. Do Ooh. You know? yeah. yeah. I haven't used that one in a while. Um, so I'm in Australia, and I don't know if you all can see from there. I cannot. Okay. So these, this, I'm scrolling through. There's a list of stuff. So here's what's funny. You travel through Australia, and you meet people, and they start using Australia-isms, I guess yeah. it's called. Oh, right? yeah. And so some of the words, I'm like, hmm, what was that? They start teaching me them with the very soft words, like, oh, this is what it means to take a U-turn, for example, or whatever. Like, you know. Right. But here, how do we say it in Australia? Then, within a day or two, it becomes the most vulgar terms you've ever heard. (laughs) And it's true. I think anywhere I visited, that seems to be the nature. They start off with these soft, easy words, like, oh, you should know how to say this and that. And within minutes, worst case days, people are teaching you the most (laughs) salacious inappropriate words ever. Yeah. So I want to start wow. off with some soft words and, and maybe we'll move on to some inappropriate stuff too. Okay. okay. So here's the quiz. I got, I got three of them for each of you. Okay. Uh, first one's to Christina. Oh boy. What's a chook? A chook? Mm-hmm. That's an Australian phrase. Or term. Am I allowed to ask a sub question? <laughs> no, no. Just, I want to know your best guess. A chook. Um, 
I don't know, like a. These are all soft. Look at that chick over there, like that guy. Look at that guy. Like that schlub, like that chuck. Yeah, like oh yeah, a, a schlub, a yeah. schlub. Okay, so do you, actually, do you want to guess? We'll just do three total. Because do, do you have a hers? Is it's a schlub. Like who is that uh, chuck? Our Australian friends right now are laughing their asses <laughs> off. A truck. A truck. Yeah, no, a chuck is a chicken. Oh. So there's chuck. Far- there's chuck farms. Yeah, chuck farmer. Okay. Um, okay. Hmm. So we'll start with an, an easier one. I'll start with you this time. Okay. So, but both of you got to yeah, give her the easy what's one. A, what's a tradie? A tradie? Mm-hmm. Like an Australian word, tradie. Someone who sells in the market? Okay. Someone who sells in the market. Yeah, a tradie. Um, a vendor. A vendor. I was just going to say that. A vendor, actually. A vendor. Yeah. Very close. It's a tradesman. So this is someone that uh, is like a construction worker or something. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Um, we'll, we'll amp it up a little bit. What's a pokey? A pokey. Pokey. Like a hokey pokey, but just the pokey part. A pokey. Yeah. Policeman? Oh. oh. Good guess now. I was going to say <laughs> someone that gets on your nerves. No, a like, pokey is a poker machine. Oh. Like a one See, how bandit. do we distinct between it's a person yeah. and it's an object? If you're Australian, you'd know this stuff. It's so funny. So people are like, oh, you know, let's go to the pokey and eat some choke. Chook. Chook. I probably said something horrible there. A choke is like probably like a, I don't know, an eyeball or something. But um, yeah, people, would start, they, they talk like Interesting. That. Yeah, I got tons more words. So we'll go over it. Um, words like what's a bonnie, uh, a, a bottle o, uh, a servo. We got a lot of stuff to cover. And then we'll get to the horrific stuff later. Oh, man. Uh, the non children part of our show. <laughs> horrific stuff. Yeah. Oh, there's some vulgar stuff coming. All right. What else you got for us? Did you, did you tell people where they can listen in on to us, Christine? I, yeah. I certainly you did. did. Do that. And we also have a shout out. Can you play um, our shout out this week from you, Rami? Yeah. So the, the, we have people calling our shout out hotline. Here's what Rami had to say. Hi, Mike. I'm Rami Ali Jill. I'm the CEO of Poplar Financial. We started with Profit First back in November, where we had about 10% profitability. We are now we have now broken 29.5%, which our goal was 30. So we've rounded up. Thank you so much for your ideas. We've, it's been wonderful to implement and has made a huge difference in our business. I am permanently profitable. Yeah, baby. Awesome. See, that's oh, nice. Yeah. Ooh, you got something. new ones. Yeah, I brought that back from Australia. I went to a footy game. Do you know what footy is? Football. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Yeah, but it's Australian football. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're learning now. They add the, the IE at the end of everything or a Y. So, okay. tradie. Right? Footy. Hokey. What do they call a hoagie? Yep, y'all are learning. Yeah. What do they call a hoagie? A hoagie? A hoagie. A hoagie. That's a good point. <laughs> what would they call it? Something that ends in an E. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think you just confuse every Australian listening in right <laughs> Sorry. now. Sorry. Okay, so uh, we have a shout out hotline, by the way. Yes. You, you, Profit First is changing the world's profitability. I mean, when I was touring Australia for the last two weeks, everyone down there that's doing Profit First has amplified their business. And this is a. Worldwide phenomenon. I mean, you can improve your business, too. And we want to hear what you've experienced. So call us at 844-876-7221. That was 844-876-7221. Dial that number. Tell us about how you've amplified your profitability. Get some exposure for yourself. But we want to hear because your testimony inspires others. And uh, together, we can eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Woo! All right. Nice. <laughs> All right. Before we um, kick things off, I do want to thank our corporate partners who make the show a reality. Oh yeah. You know. Oh, I like it. Oh, exactly. Uh, I want to thank uh, Fundbox, Nextiva, Receipt Bank, 
and um, ooh, that's kind of a hard cut there. The C Bank and Right Networks for supporting the show, and I wanted to give a special uh, shout out to Right Networks for for supporting us. I'll give all the details on the other sponsors at the end of the show, but if you don't know what Right Networks is, for God's sake. For God's sake, people, <laughs> call them. Right Networks helps you securely transition your accounting-based desktop applications into the cloud, regardless of which version you're using. So as a partner, you can trust that Right Networks will take away the burden of IT so you have more time to focus on your business. This means you can keep close track of your finances, operations, all that stuff on the cloud, even if you had the old desktop stuff, because Right Networks makes the old new. You can work from anywhere, anytime, and the Right Network support team is there to help you around the clock. How do you get signed up with Right Networks? It's real easy. Call them at 1-888, not 1-800, 1-888-469-5905. That's right. Just call 888-469-5905. Now, here's the beauty. You're listening to us probably on your smartphone right now, so I know there's a phone in your hand. Oh, man. Call them and come into the modern times, my friends. Mm, love that. Oh wait! Before we start, also, yeah. I want to do <laughs> I want to do a quick shout out to Stacy Seguin. She is one of our members, one of our core members, and she is overcoming um one of like one of her fears is public speaking. Oh, okay. So <laughs> overcoming is like some kind of disease. No, 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 yeah. no, no. But I just want to I want to acknowledge this because you know she in the past has struggled with speaking in front of people, and recently she did a presentation um to eleven creative startups, and she found herself offering a profit first webinar um and you know answering a bunch of questions nice. and she ended up being really empowered so huge shout out to stacy i'm so proud of you yeah that's fantastic yeah we have 180 members mm -hmm. that are profit first professional stacy's one of them so uh if you're looking for the help of making your business profitable call one of our members and stacy would be a fantastic one and she's stepping things up oh yeah Okay, um, we read our chat outline. Uh, I gave you the Australiasms. We talked about our corporate partners. I believe we're um, ready for our yeah. guest. Yeah, let's talk about our guest. <laughs> Her name is Kelsey Bradley. She founded Design Cause nine months after graduating from college or university, uh, which, by the way, in Australia is uni. They only yes. call it uni. Mm. So how was uni for you? I said, like, unicorn. Corn? Like, what kind of uni? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first time I heard it, they're like, oh, did you go to uni? I'm like, uni what? Is that a restaurant? Unified. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, the steak was delicious at uni. Uh, Kelsey Bradley is a founder, the founder, and executive director uh, of Design Cause. She structured the organization, managed all volunteers and campaigns, and single-handedly raised over $35,000 uh, that was needed to complete Design Cause's inaugural project and did it all within under a year. Mm. Um, now, here's the big three things you don't know about Kelsey Bradley. She founded a non the nonprofit for in, within nine months after graduating uh, architectural school. Mm. Uh, she ran the organization, did all the fundraising, all that stuff, and moved to rural Cameroon to oversee the construction of the first project. And she raised that $30,000 plus, as I explained, in two months alone. Uh, and she loves horses. Twenty, uh, I think it was 20 plus years of riding horses, so... Pretty cool. All right. I think I hope that's you, Kelsey. <laughs> or maybe I'm reading someone else's notes. <laughs> I know. I'm Kelsey, looking at this. <laughs> did I read the wrong one? Kelsey, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much Do for Do you ride horses or am I read my no, notes mixed up? No, no, no. That's definitely me. That's definitely me. Okay. Yeah, your whole life, right? You've ridden horses. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I've ridden on some pretty big stages too. So it's it's like basically my entire childhood was dominated by horses. 
Okay. Oh, nice. Oh my God, my heart was racing. Right now. <laughs> um, so, so tell us about this project. You you do a project. The the first country you decide to serve is Cameroon. How do you pick? I guess a a, a benefactor of your not for profit work. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I didn't really pick. It just sort of eh. came. I mean, I very serendipitously found this project. Um, you know, I was in the middle of architecture school at the time and I was just frustrated with what we were learning. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I can find a project and just volunteer my design services and try to, you know, serve, serve some people that need help. Um, and I found this project in my town, actually. Um, you know, my local church that I went to, one of the pastors founded this particular school, I had no idea. Uh, and at the time that I talked to him, they had no classrooms at all, but they had hundreds of students attending the school. So I thought, well, wow, wow yeah. they could they could use my help. And it really just sort of grew from there. I did not go out selecting Cameroon. In fact, it, if I did that, I probably would have never chosen Cameroon because there's a lot of you know, issues going on there and, and I had to get special permission to travel and, and different things like that. So wasn't my first choice, but I, I loved it either way. Yeah, that's awesome. What was the project specifically that you did in Cameroon? So, uh, I did a, they have classroom blocks. So, um, it was four classrooms in a block. Um, and because there was a, about three and a half years or three years between the time where I sort of got interested and introduced to the project and actually sort of started the organization and fundraising and all that. Um, they had gotten a grant to build uh, some classrooms in that three-year period that I was just doing research and design. And I found out um, because I went there that the you know government standard government classrooms that they were building were just wildly inappropriate. You know, like the research that I did was pretty rudimentary. You know, I'm a college student. I went by myself. I didn't have any like special tools or gadgets or anything. But I found out that during the hottest time of the year, it's 110 degrees outside and it can be 120 oh. degrees inside the classrooms. Oh. oh, my God. Yeah. So the students, I mean, they're in full uniform. They can't learn. They can't even pay attention. They don't want to go to school anymore. Yeah, so they awful. just don't go. So, you know, I recognize this pretty early on as just just inadequate and it didn't take long to realize that the reason why these classrooms were becoming ovens was because of the construction and because of the materials they were using so that's sort of was my initial research that led to the new design and the new classrooms which you know instead of being 10 degrees hotter they're 10 degrees cooler hmm. nice so cool the school. That's the, yeah. <laughs> the phrase. That's the yeah. phrase. The cool the school. So you know the, the solution is so obvious from the outside. It, it, students are are literally in a, a human oven in there. Of course they're not going to be focused on classes and, and and you provide the solution. But when they're living it, when you're inside a situation like that, is it obvious? Was it obvious to them that the problem was construction? Oh no! That they had a cooling. No. Why? Why is that? I've seen. Yeah, it that's interesting. How come people living in the situation can't see that as the problem? Do you think? Well, one of the things that I spent a lot of time, sort of firsthand experiencing and learning about, is the mindset is so different. It's 
it's honestly hard to wrap your head around. Like, you know, here we sort of here as in sort of in the Western world, um, we tend to have a very proactive view. Like if there's a problem, we're, we're jumping to solve it. You know, we want to be the first people to solve the problem. Whereas there it's, it's a lot more passive. And I, I mean, I, I didn't spend enough time there to fully understand, but I recognize that that proactive spirit that I'm accustomed to just doesn't, it, it's not a, a very strong part of the culture there. So, you know, that piece was challenging for me. And I think that they recognize what the problems were, but I think that finding the solution seemed so far away and daunting and they had smaller issues to deal with in their day-to-day lives that they just were like, well, it's not a priority. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, Fireball, you, um, didn't you travel internationally through Africa too? Yeah, I went to Ghana in West Africa. So did, did you see the similar cultural challenges? If it's a yeah, challenge. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't speak for it outside of Ghana, but in Ghana there was very much a kind of a between and betwixt culture where there was access to Western ideologies and thought processes to a degree, but they were also clinging to their, you know, past traditional knowledge. Mm. Um, And so I think part of all of the infrastructure, there was signs of that and and limited resources uh, and I think in terms of governmental structure and how they move forward as a country. So it's a, I would guess that it's a similar thing across Africa. Sounds challenging. You bring in Western ideas. They're here today, Ghana tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. That was horrible. That was absolutely horrible. But what about that? (laughs) Other Kelsey loves it. She's not great. Kelsey, what about the, you're the outsider. Yes. You're, you're the Westerner bringing in these ideas. Is there a resistance to it? Um, yes and no. Uh, I treaded extremely carefully through that interaction. Um, there was, when I say collaborative, like I mean really collaborative. You know, there was, I was the only person, Western person, who went there throughout this entire process. And so I made mm. it very clear that. I was here to bring new ideas and they were there to select the ones that they wanted to try was kind of the way. Yeah. So, so you, that you, they retained control over the direction of the project. Right. Right. And, and you know, it, it very easily could have not gone that way. I just made a conscious decision and stubbornly stuck with it throughout the entire process, which a lot of people told me was, not the right thing to do. And I got some flack for it, like especially um, when I was in architecture school designing the building. Um, mm-hmm. So a, a lot of people disagree with that, but I think that ultimately that's what made it a success. Yeah, hmm. I agree. Okay. So now let's get to the profit aspect yeah. of it. So <laughs> you're, when we were talking off air, what I think I heard from you is even a nonprofit needs to effectively be profitable. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, if you don't have any money, you can't do anything. That's true. Right. So, the, uh, yeah, but so you're saying it's so obvious, but it doesn't seem so obvious. Yeah. It, it seems like some of the non for profits I've worked for, they're like, they're trying to actually vacate themselves of money uh, at all costs. I, 
Yeah. So why, why don't you kind of give them a little more detail? Why does a nonprofit need to be profitable, so to speak? Yeah. So one thing I, I just have to throw in here, nonprofit is the worst name ever because it implies. <laughs> That's the highlight of the century. Yeah. You know, why is it the worst name ever? It's horrible. And it's so misleading to people. They think that they can run their entire organization with no money. And that's just doesn't work. So I mm. found out pretty early on because, you know, I went in with the same mindset that I'm sure 99.9% .9 of people go into a nonprofit space with, which is, you know, I just need to find some people to support me and I don't have to put any money into it. I can get donations and then I'll just do my great work and rainbows and daisies, everything will be great. That <laughs> couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, I put in a small amount of investment of my own money. Up, well, actually, it ended up being not that small um, from where I was in my life uh, at the time. And then I realized I got a, a little bit of money in. And then it was just a flat line for months. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, well, I need to figure this out. Like what's, what's yeah. happening? Like, why can't I bring in any money? Like, how come I'm talking to people about my organization and they're just kind of like, oh, that's cool. And then walking away, like, you know, what's happening. And then I started to, instead of reading specifically nonprofit stuff and looking specifically at nonprofit things, I started to look at business things, you know, mm. how to market, how to sell, you know, how to network. And that's when things started to turn around. And when I started to actually bring in money. And one of the most, the, the biggest things I did was change the way I thought about money. You know, instead of thinking like, oh, this is going to be impossible to raise this money. Like, I don't know where I'm going to get it from. Like, I need to find that amazingly wealthy benefactor. I started thinking like, okay, well, you know, the project's going to be built in January. So I'm going to bring in all my money in the next two months. And that's basically what happened. But I think that nice. changing how I thought about it and stop, I stopped being so negative about money, which was just exuding out of me when I was talking to other people. And I didn't realize. And as soon as I flipped that and started looking much more as my, at my organization as a business and less of it as a quote unquote nonprofit, I mean, things turned around really fast. What, what kind of practices did you do to flip that mindset? I mean, it's sort of easier said than done, right? Yeah. Well, I actually started working um, with a business coach. Um, I just, you know, I started this organization pretty much right out of college or university, uni. And I just, <laughs> you know. I didn't know you were Australian. <laughs> No, no. I actually just had no idea what was going on. And I, I really needed some support. And so she was able to, you know, teach me these these other ways of looking at things, which I like latched on to wholeheartedly because I, I just thought like, oh, I have to do something to change this because yeah. like we were like cruising for death. Like I didn't know what was going on with my organization and I was scared I was going to have to give the money back that I had raised. Mm -hmm. So definitely working with somebody else and having my hand held for um, that sh really crucial period of time where I could turn things around was really vital. You said you were looking at least initially for one big benefactor. Is that how it played out? Was it one big benefactor or did you raise money through multiple people? Definitely multiple people. I think that the, there's a misconception that you can just like find a very wealthy, generous person. And that just, 
it just rarely happens. You know, I, I went to everyone. I had my close friends donating $20 and then I had some fairly large benefactors donating five figures. So I think that it just, you never know what's going to happen and you have to treat everyone like they're your biggest donor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a, good. a good point. And so, and do you make it public? Cause I've, when I think of uh, campaigns like Kickstarter and so forth, um, which I presume you in your own way, maybe even emulated something like that is I believe there's a benefit to share that, Hey, um, you know, Joe contributed $20, Martha put in $15. Um, do you make that stuff public or, or how do you get the momentum going? You said you had two months of quiet. How did you get the momentum going and keep it going? Oh, I had five to six months of quiet. It, oh. <laughs> it was just okay. flat line. Um, well, what I did is as soon as I started, so the, the construction process, um, we had to purchase a particular machine and get it shipped to the site in order to do the construction method that I had designed. And mm-hmm. um, we needed $3,000 um, to purchase that particular piece of equipment. And I scraped and scraped and scraped to get that amount of money together. And then as soon as we bought the machine, I made it extremely public that we had bought the machine. And then people were like, oh, oh, Kelsey's not full of crap. Like, this is actually happening. And then people were much more willing to donate. I think that trust just wasn't there in the beginning. And, you know, why would it be? Like a newbie out of college. I have no, clearly no idea what's going on. And I'm asking people to make donations to this dream that I have. They needed some proof. And I think that that taking that initial step was enough proof and you know, it worked out really well, the timing, because that happened right before the holiday season. So, you know, then the ball really started rolling. I did have a um, CrowdRise site where I did post mm-hmm. amounts, but I, because they were all basically all in person, I would just write anonymous. Um, so I'm not... Do you, yeah. Do you find that you're, you have to continuously prove that you're making progress, like now you have that initial trust, do you find that you have to keep kind of proving that you're moving along for them to stick with it? Or at this point, do they have complete, like blind trust in you? I think the donors, um, it's, it was a fairly small pool in terms of nonprofit pools. I mean, it was a number of people, but like I think right. around 100 or something. Um, mm-hmm. Since they sort of started with me from the beginning, I I'm pretty confident that I have their trust at this point. Um, I think that if I wanted to reach out, which I do, to new people, I would need to build that trust just like I had the initial group. Right. Um, yeah. It's just I don't have the big name, the, the huge organization. Right, right. You, know, you have to show proof somehow. And I remember you saying that, that persistence is a major factor in, in raising money for a, a nonprofit. What role did persistence play for you? Everything. Literally everything. Okay. I had people donate solely because they were impressed that I just flat out wouldn't give up. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted you off their back. Yeah. For God's sake, Kelsey, leave me alone. Here's 30 bucks. I know. I mean, pretty much. You know, and I had people, I found out after the fact that, you know, people would talk about me behind my back and say, you know, I can't, she's like a, a, 
dog with a bone. Like she will not yeah. give up on this dream. And, you know, it reaches a point where people just feel like, okay, like I just, I have to get on board because clearly this is going to happen. Right. But is there a certain point where it's clear you got to give up on that person that you become a nuisance to them? I think, I think, yeah. But I think that because I was able to do it within the year mark, I mean, I think if this is like three years down the road and I'm still trying to raise like five grand, you know, people are going to be like, okay, Kelsey, you need to, you need to, reevaluate your life right now yeah yeah but i think that because there was like that six five or six month lull where nothing happened but then a lot happened you know people knew that i was still working on things i wasn't like banging on their door every day but i would approach them in these little spikes and say like you know i'm still working on it we're making a little bit of progress we're gonna get there um and they would you know first couple times they were like nah you know my biggest yeah. donor I approached three or four times and the first three times they just were like, okay, well, that's nice. That's a good idea. And then that fourth time they said, okay, you know, it's holiday season. I'm feeling generous. I'll give you X amount. And then I approached them afterwards to say thank you. And they said, oh, did you need more money? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> what do you ask? Yeah, like, yeah you know, Are I actually you could use a little more. And then they said, okay, well, however much you need, I'll cover it. Oh, that's wow. awesome. Yeah, I mean, that wow. was amazing. That's interesting. But I think that there's so many is everything. Yeah, there's so many behavioral aspects that play in. I, I, mm -hmm. I've read an, an experience that when someone gives a small amount in the beginning, that now they feel linked to the project right. and they're much more willing to give a, a bigger amount. Well, but you also talked about the importance of giving uh, in order to receive. What did you mean by that? Well, I think that a lot of... It kind of plays into the mindset piece. Remember I talked about in the beginning, you know, being more open and... and you know, positive towards money. Um, and I think that plays into it. You know, when you give $20 or $100 or $1,000 to an organization, not only do you feel great, but you're sort of trusting that, you know, you're, you're going to be able to make that money back for yourself. And I, I had never thought about money that way ever. And I always sort of thought it was like, the castle, you like have your mode up, you guard your money at all costs. But it, yeah. it just, it creates such a negative energy around it. And, you know, if you just are a little bit more relaxed and open towards it, it's, it become, you stop thinking about it as sort of the be all end all. And you realize that like money comes and goes and you don't need to be like the greedy Scrooge or whatever. And, you know, hoard everything, giving money just, opens you up to receive more and it's inspiring to others and people like to give money to people who they see giving it to those who need it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of like breathing right yeah. you, you breathe in you breathe out you breathe yeah. In. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. i used to get deep breath <laughs> our kelsey here in the studio goes <laughs> <laughs> yes it is like breathing um, the basis of life yeah yeah, yeah. so kelsey b once that's short for Bradley. Um, <laughs> once you raise all this money, now you have to run a profitable project. You have to stay within the boundaries of this money. Yes. Uh, so, so bring us back to Cameroon. Was it effectively profitable? Were you able to do it within the budget you allotted? Oh, yeah. I mean, my original plan for this entire project was to do two classrooms, and we built four. 
So wow, nice. wow, nice. that's awesome. Yeah, and I think hot diggly dog for the same. <laughs> as, that's also Australian. <laughs> that's Australian. Diggly dog. He's diggity here in the U.S. Diggly. So you got four classrooms done for the same amount of money you planned for two classrooms. Yes. Wow, and what happens now? Is the is the project done? You leave. You're never back. Or is this, is this the start of something that continues on? Well, um, I think that people want to hear that it continues on, but that's actually not the goal of the organization. So I'm mm. still in communication with them. You know, I actually just paid for one of the their brightest students to continue his studies. Uh, but the goal uh, uni? is. <laughs> Secondary school, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, okay, okay. Uh, but then uni. Then uni. The goal is not to have a hand in what's going on there. The goal is to provide them with the skills and the information because I work directly I with people there. So they know how to build it. And then to take a step back and say, you know, you have the skills, you have the knowledge. It's your choice as to whether you want to continue this or not. So they need more classrooms. But I left the machine there. It's now theirs. So they can choose whether to build the next future classrooms with this model or not. But it costs 50% of like the original classrooms, government classrooms, to build these new classrooms. Wow. So oh, cheaper than yeah. the original and, and 20 degrees cooler. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ten degrees. Unbelievable. So. Well, I thought you said twenty. I thought I thought outside it's one ten, inside it's one twenty, but now you have it down to one hundred. Yes. So th that's a, the difference between I'm going by the exterior air temperature, and I think you're going a total. Oh. But I'm so going you're by both interior. right. Yeah. You're okay. both We're right. both right. We don't have to, we don't have to fight it out over this one. Okay. <laughs> So uh, before we wrap things up, what's, what's the future for you? Now that you figured out how to make a non-profitable business profitable and successful, what are you doing next? So um, in terms, I sort of have branched out into a number of things. Design Cause is still in existence. Um, we're actually just kicking off a new project in Malawi. So that's very exciting. Um, and then I am. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It just, just like in the last week, we've solidified it. So that's very exciting. Awesome. And then um, on the other side of the sort of spectrum is I have, I've since coming back from Cameroon, I started a blog that's really focused on helping other people who are new or just starting out in the nonprofit space to actually create profitable, you know, engaging, amazing nonprofits themselves. So I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there and a lot of poor information. Um, so that's sort of my side side baby at the moment, um, but it's really exciting, and I've had a lot of good. How to make your feedback. how to make your cause based business actually a profitable, sustainable business? Yeah. Well, Kelsey Bradley, it's been a joy having you on our show. Uh, before we let you go, where can people learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? Yeah, well, you can connect with me on my website. Uh, it's kelseydbradley.com. D has two silent e's, so D E E, uh, and then. You can find me at that name on Instagram, Facebook. I'm, I'm around. Yeah. <laughs> and in Cameroon, apparently, every so often. Yeah. Or Malawi. Or Malawi, yeah, exactly. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, so much, Kelsey. All right, guys, so here's what we're going to do in a minute. We're going to recap what we learned Ooh. from Kelsey. Uh, you guys, I saw everyone taking notes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, so we're going to share the best of the best. 
we are going to um, also thank our corporate partners. But before that, we have something new and special. We do. <laughs> You're quickly scrambling. <laughs> what the hell is it, Mike? It's uh, what? What, what I, ha- I had some really snazzy term for it. What was it? Listeners. Listener mail. Mail. Was that it? <laughs> yeah. Was that it? It was yeah. it. Okay. Here's your listener mail. Do I have a sound effect for it? Here's our listener mail. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's, what? Basically, what we're doing is getting a lot of questions in about Profit First. And instead of answering them directly, we thought we'd start answering them on air. So what's the, what came in today? Yeah, so this question comes from Josh. Hey, Josh. He goes, hey, Mike. Hey, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to make my first owner's pay. Would you pay the employer tax liability out of the owner's pay account or the tax account. I know it's nothing big, but what have you seen flows best? Okay, Josh, great question. So uh, a reminder for everyone's listening, when you set up profit first for your business, we call it the five foundational accounts. The income account, that's a depository only. That's where money flows in. But it's like a serving tray for Thanksgiving dinner. You would never eat off the serving tray. Well, maybe at Kelsey's house. <laughs> hey, everyone, just dive in. Maybe Kelsey specifically. Yeah, Kelsey. She's like, what are you doing with that turkey? You're like, shut up. I'm hungry. Um, but this, you, you do with Thanksgiving, you car- carve the turkey, and so everyone gets a piece on their plate. Mm-hmm. The plate, the other plates are uh, profit, owner's comp, tax, and operating expenses. So for Josh's situation, the owner's compensation is used to pay his salary as an employee of his mm-hmm. own business, and the tax account is used to pay his taxes. So pull the tax money from your tax account. Now, here's the one thing, Josh. If you have like an S-corp or a business where you have to actually run payroll and your taxes are taken out of your payroll check, then the money that accumulates in your tax account will simply issue you a check at the end of each quarter to reimburse you for your taxes. Oh. But basically, your taxes are always paid out of your tax account. Okay? How'd you like that? Was that good? That makes Love sense. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah! The fans go crazy. Yeah. Okay. That's our new little segment. Um, now let's get back to our regular fare. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you really eat turkey off the turkey tr- Trend? I mean, sometimes. I mean, I who do doesn't too, pick? I'm Everybody picks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a major picker. Yeah. There was a picker, a nose picker, a oh. woman <laughs> on the airplane. So disgusting. I I almost stood, no. she was one chair over. I almost stood up and went over to her and just said, here's a tissue. Where was it? On my return flight. Oh. United, it's freaking United Airlines. They allow that stuff. <laughs> Oh, my God. the airlines for sure. They, yeah, if for they, her, they don't if, have enough flat for her right nose now. Pickery. I know. I'm just saying, if they're going to beat passengers, be the picker. <laughs> Under the plane with oh, you. Oh, it was so disgusting. Oh and then I couldn't stop looking at her. It was disgusting. Yeah, I mean, disgusting. she was a knuckle deep. Oh, God. Uh, oh, I know. Michael. Stop with the imagery. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Um, okay. Well, that was entertaining. <laughs> On that note. Let's talk about our corporate partners. Okay. Here's another thing that disgusts me. What? <laughs> Our corporate partners. Oh I thought my it was God, fun. no. Oh, you cannot say they that. Don't. They do not discuss me. They're amazing. First one is Fundbox. Yes. David Tolkien was emailing me. He said, hey, Mike, I heard you're going to California. Because um, I was flying through. It was, I was up in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, like, how long are you going to be here? I said, two hours. He's like, damn it. If it's three hours, I pick you up at the airport. We go. He likes to work out like an animal. Oh, He's yeah. like, I want to go to the gym with you, work out, and then we'll come back. So next time, Dave Tolkien. Next Fund time. box. Here's what house they work out for you. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you have an invoice that's due? They will release the funds to you in its entirety on the spot. Yeah. That way, like, we have tons of invoices due to us. I think I should give a call to Fund Box and get all that cash. Yeah. You should. Yeah, I don't know. All right, next, Eva. <laughs> yeah. Voice over IP. Mm-hmm. 
V O I P. Voice like, over IP. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah over we got like pro- 30 phones now. <laughs> I know. It's becoming ridiculous. Did you see during the huddle today? The phone rings here. Mike Scalise runs over to Ron's phone to see who it is, but over, because Ron called in over uh, Zoom yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You could see the phone ringing at his house simultaneously. Yeah. You heard him ring and he puts it on pause. Yeah. You don't need that anymore. You don't need people running to the desk saying, it's the phone. It has this simul ring function mm-hmm. where anywhere in the world, I was in Australia. I have Next Eva also on my um, cell, phone? cell phone. Phone rings here. It's ringing in Australia. Oh, crazy. Powerful, yeah. And I'm like, like leave me alone. Yeah, at two in the morning. <laughs> um, I'm like, what do you want, Kelsey? <laughs> uh, receipt bank. Receipt you know, bank. all those receipts you get, you can scan it right in, syncs with your accounting, your accounting system. It's beautiful. And of course, we talked about them. Questions have you signed up with Right Networks? They take any of those desktop applications you have, they make them web enabled, total flexibility. So whenever you travel around, even if you're working from home or from Australia, you can be working on your applications because of Right Networks. So check out our corporate partners. They are truly wonderful people, even though I like to make fun of them every so often. <laughs> and by the way, Yaniv uh, uh, from Nexiva just texted me. Uh, it's not Jamie who's coming. He's sending Max. Remember Max from last year? You remember Max from last year? He was I right do. on the camera. Was, yeah. Max and Molly. Oh, oh, isn't that a show or something? Max or and Molly. Mike and Molly. Mike and Molly. Mike and Molly. Very close. <laughs> and, yeah. So okay. So that's good people, to know. So yeah, heads up on that. Uh, okay. So that was our corporate partners. Definitely check them out. What else do we have to talk about? Anything else? What we learned. Oh yeah. yeah. What did we learn? What did we learn today? I mean, hit the what button. did you learn today? So what did you learn today? I'll start us out if that's what you mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's see, people living in problem get off and go. Oh, one thing that's interesting is that when people are living the problem, they can't necessarily see the root yeah. cause of it. So it was so obvious. How can students do well in, in 120 degree temperatures? Mm. Yeah. But maybe it's not obvious when you're living the situation. You know? It's hard to, to think outside of the box. And if you're in that 120 degree room with them, I can't imagine you're thinking clearly. No. Uh, I, two other quick things. Uh, Kelsey decided to work with a business coach. How often does a Nonprofit decide to work yeah. with a business. I think that's so smart. Yeah, extremely smart. Um, and then the other thing was uh, money goes around. Goes around. Oh, just kind of the, the, how she said the the flow of money that money comes and goes, and that you shouldn't be a miser about it. Yeah. Uh, and just be clinging to it. I I, I kind of like that. Oh, I got one other thing too, but I won't share because I'm going to yeah. chew them all up. What do you What do you okay. get? What do you have? Um, I think my biggest takeaway is I just appreciate her. Um, desire to really maintain their culture and respect for their culture ah, and, yeah. and really fostering their ability to use new information but apply it in a way that's meaningful to them and and that works for them um i think in terms of a global economy and the movement of money you know raising money here but using it there and that's a really effective way to build that economy rather than here we're going to do this our way, yeah. you know, now we have this Western model in your completely non-Western right. culture. It winner, winner, sense. chook dinner. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, You're I totally love right. that. Good call, good call. What, what'd you get? Um, I have two. First, persistence is key, yes. which mm. it's so easy mm. to let people talk you out of your dreams. I've experienced that myself. You need to, you need to stay true to your mission and to stay persistent when you believe in it. And also to change the way that you think about money. Everybody is so negative about money it's I need I need I need and you're constantly grasping for it but if you just flip around your mindset it comes with ease it yeah. like it's amazing how that works one other thing I wanted to add was um when she bought that machine like this machine by the way sounds like this Machiavellian amazing machine like yeah. it builds schools <laughs> you just push a button it builds schools with air conditioning built in um but wherever this machine was 
that she made it public once he owned it, and she said that everyone started backing it. Mm. Yeah. Do you never notice when you drive by a firehouse that they have this sign out front of the money they're looking to raise, yes, and the yes, guy yes, climbing yes. the ladder, you yeah. know? Mm. They will always start like it. a thermometer thing. A thermometer thing. Mm-hmm. They will always start it, not at the bottom, but with momentum. Right. Yeah. Because behaviorally, when people see that there's already momentum, they're more likely to back it than if it starts at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. So That makes so much sense. Yeah. So that was pretty cool if she did that. Yeah, okay. We want to know from you, so listener. What did you learn today? Uh, Put it in the show notes or whatever, but we want to know what you learned, um, too. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Just like that. All right. One more thing. Yeah. ProfitFirstProfessionals.com. Duh. Duh. God, Christine. Well, be sure to rate us and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and all those places. Google Play, wherever you listen in. Uh, Share it, please. I hope we earned a five-star review. And, uh, yeah, Profit First Professionals. Oh, my God. This organization. (laughs) I know. That's wonderful. Are there some steps that you can take? There is. <laughs> you can, if you want to be, you're, you set me up. I know you, you're ready for this, aren't you? It's her favorite. It's, it's been her weeks. favorite. It's been weeks. <laughs> so here's what you can do. You can find a Profit First professional. These are Profit First advisors, people that have been coached by our organization. They've become certified Profit First. They've passed our test. They've implemented Profit First in their own business. They can walk you through becoming a profitable business. They can coach you. They work for not-for-profits, too. Now, but, how? Is, but how? I know. This is the big villain. But how do you do it? Here's what you do. Step one, first you go to Profit First Professional. Step two. Step two is you fill out the form. Actually, step two, there's a video to watch that explains how to get a Profit First Professional. Step three is then you fill out the form in step four. You click on, that was a good one. You click on submit, and then we will introduce you to a Profit First Professional, someone who will work with your company. We have specialists in all different industries, so we don't care if you're a nonprofit, if you're a pizza shop, if you maybe you have a firehouse where you're trying to get that thermometer to go higher. Mm-hmm. We have a profit first professional who specializes in what you do. So do that now. Go to profitfirstprofessionals.com and we'll hook you up. Do it. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> I think we're out of here, people. We're done. Yeah. Cool. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.